Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John speaks from the subject of Pentecostal Questions. Acts chapter 2, the first four verses. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting, were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. The King James calls it tongues. As the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Father, would you add your, uh, your anointing and your illumination, your understanding of your word today? Lord, I pray that you help us to set aside everything that, that we may have experienced, everything we may have learned incorrectly, anything that we may have seen that is not of you. And help us, Lord, to be open to your word to say what it says, to mean what it means, and to be in us what you intended it to be. We love you. We thank you for your word and for your truth and for your power. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today is Pentecost Sunday. And happy Pentecost Sunday to you. And, and, and I think this is as good a time as any to just speak the truth. Is it okay if we just speak the truth this morning? The American Pentecostal Church is in trouble. The American Pentecostal Church is in trouble. And it's not just the Church of God, which is our denomination. It's all of them. We're in trouble for two, really for two main reasons. First of all, like most American churches, many of those who call themselves believers are not truly in love with Jesus. We've been talking about it all year. Jesus wrote, uh, well, I, think, I think this was the first, part of the first message that I preached. Jesus wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus, and it's recorded in Revelation chapter 2. And Jesus said, essentially, you're doing a lot of good things. You're doing a lot of Christian-y things. You're doing a lot of impressive things when you look at them from the outside. But you don't love me like you used to love me. And if you don't get that fixed, if you don't fall in love with me again, then I am going to come and shut the doors of your church. That's what it said. In Revelation chapter 2. It's important. We can't settle for convenient Christianity. We can't settle for cultural Christianity. We've got to be sold out, head first, deeply in love with Jesus. And I just don't see a lot of churches in America who are doing that. And the, the, the second problem, and the reason specifically why a Pentecostal churches in America are in trouble, is this. I don't care what your statements of faith say. 
I don't care what the name is over the door or on the sign. I don't care what the history of your church is. I don't care what it was like two generations ago. I don't care what experience your pastor or other leaders in the church might have had. The American Pentecostal church is in trouble because the majority of our people are not being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's because our pulpits are silent on the subject. We are no longer teaching and preaching what the Bible says about it. We are associating ourselves by calling ourselves Pentecostal. We are associating ourselves with an event in the Bible that we have not actually experienced for ourselves. So if we are truly in love with Jesus, if we're not truly in love with Jesus and we're not baptized in his spirit, it's no wonder the American church is not having any, any more impact in their communities or in our nation or in our world. If covenant life, let me just bring this home. If covenant life is going to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave to us to go and make disciples, if covenant life is going to fulfill our vision of being real, relational, and reaching so that everybody can know Jesus, so that everybody can grow in their faith, and then everybody can go boldly into their mission field, if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, then we have to be a true biblical church. And when you read the Bible, you know that that has to be a church that believes in the baptism in the Holy Spirit and practices the baptism in the Holy Spirit. We have got to see people baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches us that the experience that we just read about in Acts chapter 2, the experience of the 120 uh, on the day of Pentecost was not a one-time representative symbolic event. The same power and the same experience that they had on that day is still available to believers on this day. The effect that the Holy Spirit had in their lives and that he had on them is desperately needed in us, in me today. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not only available to every believer, it was the expectation of the early church fathers in the Bible. It was part of the natural and logical spiritual maturing in the faith that you would be saved, which is being baptized into Jesus, baptized into Christ. Then you would be baptized in water. Then you'd be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And there are multiple places in the word that I can show it to you. We have got to teach that and preach that and experience that and practice that in our lives today which probably raises some concerns for you, probably raises some questions, probably makes some walls come up. And and that's exactly what I want to talk about today. This message is called Pentecostal Questions. I want to answer some questions. Um, Y'all, these are the most, maybe the most frequently asked questions when someone finds out that we're Pentecostal. Y'all ever got the deer in headlights look when people find out you go to a Pentecostal church? Y'all, y'all don't tell anybody? Is that what you do? He's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about it. No, maybe this will help you next time you experience that. And if you are carrying these questions, maybe this will help answer some for you, okay? Uh, so we're going to dive in. Here, here's the first of, of three Pentecostal questions. The first question is what? <laughs> what? Or, or maybe what? What? <laughs> 
What is the baptism in the Holy Spirit or the baptism with the Holy Spirit? First of all, I want, I want you to recognize that this is, this is a biblical concept, not a man-made concept. Both Jesus and John the Baptist said that we would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to show it to you in two different places. The first one is Luke chapter 3. So Luke 3.16. Everybody knows what John 3.16 says. Luke 3.16 says, John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Acts chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5, these, these are the words of Jesus. This is after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, right before, among the last things he said before he ascended to the Father. He said once when he was, uh, Acts says, once when he was eating with them, Jesus commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised as I told you before, John baptized you with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he said, uh, we've already talked about this. He said, I to- as I told you before, this is not like the one and only time Jesus talked about this. He had clearly had this conversation with his disciples over and over again. So the baptism in the Holy Spirit is both a gift and a promise. Let me ask you a question. It's not a trick question. Is God good? Is he a good God? Would he promise to give you a gift if it wasn't a good gift? So don't let the devil cloud your mind. Don't let previous experience cloud your mind. Trust God and trust his word with an open mind. Listen, I've been, I've been in church for, for almost 50 years now. I have, I have been there and done that. I, I, have, I have seen all kinds of ridiculous stuff in church that was blamed on the Holy Spirit. Will somebody be brave enough to say amen? I've seen all kinds of craziness. But the presence of a counterfeit verifies the existence of the original. You don't counterfeit something that doesn't exist. Do you realize there's no such thing as a counterfeit $3 bill? Because there's not a real $3 bill. There's no reason to try to pass off $3 bills. No, nobody's ever seen one. That, that, it's not a thing. And if you, if you receive a $3 bill, you're just dumb, right? Because there's not one of those. If you're in business to make money and you can't recognize money when you see it, you, you, you're not going to stay in business long. The fact that the enemy counterfeits these experiences, counterfeits a doctrine that has nothing to do with the, with the truth of the Word of God, simply verifies the fact that, that it's true, that there is a seed of truth that's in the Word that he's trying to keep you from. And so I want you to understand that today. Set aside all of the craziness, all of the foolishness, and let God's Word speak for itself. Can we do that? All right. So what, what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit? Just like baptism in water is, a, is a, an immersion of a person into the water, 
Baptism in the Holy Spirit is an immersion of a person into the Holy Spirit. It is the surrender, it's not going to be the last time I say this, it is the surrender of the soul to the direction of the Spirit. You're surrendering yourself to Him. So let me try to explain it this way. Y'all ever heard the expression or use the expression, that's like trying to baptize a cat. Any of you ever tried to baptize? Never mind. Um, It's not easy, is it? Why is that an expression about something that's difficult or near impossible to do? Uh, A couple reasons. One, because cats don't like to be wet. And two, because cats don't like to be forced into doing anything. They are completely self-willed, right? So they will fight you tooth and nail and claw uh, if you try to put them underwater or try to make them do anything they don't want to do. Baptism is about surrender. You can't baptize a cat because they will never surrender. You can put them underwater. You can dunk them, but it's not a baptism because they didn't surrender. All you got now is a wet, mad cat, not a baptized cat. Baptism is about surrender. It's a giving up of your will and your way. It's the same with the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Nobody gets baptized in the Holy Spirit kicking and screaming. It's an experience of the surrendered soul. It's a commitment to walk according to the will of the Spirit and and not the desires of the flesh. Now I want to show you this because this is really important. It's part of an ongoing relationship. And we've taught this so, so backwards for so many years in Pentecostal churches. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 It says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a great verse, and there's lots of stuff to unpack with that verse and lots of directions to go with that. But I want you to understand that the verb that's translated there, be filled with the Holy Spirit, is one that indicates continuing action. It's multiple or repeated Fillings. It, it really should say, uh, so be, don't be drunk with wine, but be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time, it's not a one-time event in your life, or it shouldn't be. It's not something that you check off the spiritual bucket list. We need to continually be filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not because His power runs out, but because humans leak. You know, we got holes. We, it doesn't make us holy. <laughs> it makes us crazy. We, we've got holes. We, we, we have to be continually filled back up. Life is difficult. Life is tough. Life is confusing. And we need to stay continually surrendered to the Holy Spirit in our lives so we can navigate the minefield that is human life. Now, the main objection to the baptism in the Holy Spirit is that, is that people say that we get baptized in the Holy Spirit at salvation, that we get, we get the Holy Spirit at salvation, and therefore we don't need to look for anything else. And the, the problem with that argument is that it's half true. It is true. Romans chapter 8 says that if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you are not His. 
You, you can't belong to Christ without the Spirit of Christ. So all believers do have the marking or, or the a measure of the Holy Spirit. But there is a separate work called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And there's lots of evidence to, to prove that or to back that up. But I want to show you really quickly three things in Scripture that hopefully will help you understand this is a different thing than what you received at salvation. Here's the first one in Acts chapter 8 verses, verses 14 through 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message. What does that mean? They got saved. Right? These people are saved. When they heard that these people got saved, they sent Peter and John. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized... In the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. They're already believers. But Peter and John felt it necessary to go and lay their hands on them so they could receive the Holy Spirit. Why would they have done that if we get baptized in the Holy Spirit at salvation? Of all the people in the world in, in, living on planet earth at that time, Peter and John would have known better than anybody about the principles and the doctrines of the Holy Spirit. They were with Jesus from the beginning. They knew His heart. They knew His intentions. They had heard Him speak of a baptism in the Holy Spirit more, uh, more than one time. They were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost that we just read about. These two knew what they were talking about. There has to be something more. Now let's look at something that happened. Here's the second verse. Something that happened 20 years later. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the inner regions uh, until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several. Would you read that last word with me? Believers. Here, here, here's a strange question. Paul said, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Like, why is it optional? Why, why hmm. They said, uh, nope. We haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Now look at the follow-up question to this conversation about, uh, about the Holy Spirit. He said, then what baptism did you experience? And they replied, the baptism of John. And Paul said, listen, John's baptism was about repentance of sin. John himself told people to believe in the one coming later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they were water baptized. Then Paul laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 of them. Paul asked people who were already identified in Scripture as believers if they had received the Holy Spirit. If it's an automatic thing, why, why didn't they already know about it? Why didn't they already possess it? And furthermore, why did Paul ask about a baptism in conjunction with this conversation he's having with them about the Holy Spirit if there's no such thing? There is clearly an experience with the Holy Spirit that the apostles taught that was separate from salvation. Not the same thing. One more from Jesus himself in Luke chapter 11. We're going to come back and finish this passage in a minute. But Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. You've heard this before, but a lot of times you, you, we don't read all the way to the end and recognize what he's talking about. Jesus said, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. 
Can I just point this out? If your kids ask for something that they want, why would you give them something that would hurt them? A snake? A scorpion? I mean, what kind of, what kind of terrible person would you be if you gave your kids that? So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, listen, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is not, this is not just a passage about getting your prayers answered. This is a passage about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. John, how do you know? Because when you got saved, did you have to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit? No. Neither did I. We were marked. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And yet he says we need to ask the Father for the Holy Spirit. He has to be talking about something else. He has to be talking about a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And listen, Peter said, Peter said on the day of Pentecost, it's not just for the apostles. He didn't he he said it's not just for these people, these 3000 people who are about to believe what I'm preaching. He he said it's for you and for me. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39. Peter said, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God uh, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise, this promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said it was a promise. Jesus said it was a gift. This promise is to you, so these people he's preaching to, and to your children, you see another generation is going to pass and promise still exists. And even to the Gentiles, those are people who are not even Christians yet. All who have been called by the Lord our God. Let me ask you this. Did you hear the call of God when you got saved? Didn't He call you to Himself? Didn't He call you to surrender to Him and be, and, and be saved, be forgiven of your sin? If you heard the call of God to be saved, then the baptism in the Holy Spirit is available to you, Jew and Gentile alike, no matter what generation you come from. See, there are people who are they're called cessationists. They believe that the gifts and the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit stopped at some point. The problem with that belief is that there's no evidence in the Bible where it was ever the intention of God to stop operating His Holy Spirit. It's just, it's just simply not there. So the first question that people usually ask about, uh, about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what in the world is it? Here's the second thing, that, uh, second question I want us to answer, and that is why. And this is huge. Why? And the question I want us to answer is why should I want to be b- baptized in the Holy Spirit? Why should I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I almost asked why do I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? But I think that's the wrong question. It's a, it, it's a little like asking, why do I need to be married? Well, you don't need to be married. You should want to get married. Like, if you're on a romantic dinner with your girlfriend, guys, don't like look across the table and say, why do we need to get married? That's a terrible conversation to have. Right? You should want to get married. Why do I need to marry you? Terrible opening line. Terrible closing. I'll tell you what, if you use that line, it'll be the the closing line of the conversation. You should want to get married. You're not required. It's a function of your will and your desire, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't, isn't just about need. 
It's about desire. You should want to be baptized in His Spirit. Now, I've shared this with you before from my own personal experience, and I'm sorry, this is the only life I've ever lived, so I can only share what actually happened to me. So if you've heard this, you can check out for a second. But uh, when I was about 15 years old, I went forward in a revival service. I went forward in the altar call for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The preacher said... If you don't have, he was very specific, if you have not received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I want you to come to the front. There was not a lot of wiggle room for this obedient 15-year-old. That was the man of God. He said, if you hadn't come down, I hadn't, so I went down. And, and, and though I was born into an Assemblies of God church that, was the, that is the largest Pentecostal denomination in the world, we started attending a Baptist church when I was seven years old. And, and, and for the next eight years, I was, in a, I was in a little Baptist church, a little country Baptist church. So my foundational formative years was in that little Baptist church. So when we started back to a Pentecostal church, I was terrified. I was scared to death. I thought people got accidentally baptized in the Holy Spirit. I thought I was going to be like walking in the church and just something was going to, you know, and I was just like, blah. So we, we, came to this, we came to this revival service, which always made me nervous. So we went to this revival service, and, and he said that. So I went down, and I'm standing there, and the preacher, whom I've never met in my life, came, I, he came to me, and he said, what are you here for? And I thought, well, that's kind of a goofy question. Didn't you just tell me if I'm not baptized in the Holy Spirit to get down here? So here I am. And I said what I thought was the obvious response, I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said something that I didn't see coming. I wasn't expecting this. He said, everybody needs it. Question is, do you want it? I was not prepared for that question. I didn't have a good answer. I mostly stared, and quite honestly, I felt like it was a little smart-alecky. It kind of hurt my feeling, and so I, I, I didn't know. So it seemed also that it was, there was only one right answer. So I said, yes. Clearly, I was not baptized in the Holy Spirit that night. Um, I had no idea what in the world I was doing. But it did send me on somewhat of a quest in the next few years to dive into the desires of my heart. Like, what is it that I want in my relationship with God? What do I want the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And so the question I ask to you today is the same. Do you want the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And it's an important question. And listen, if you, if you are about to click out, then, then listen to this. It's important because you will receive what you need if somebody gives it to you, but you'll pursue what you want. Amen. Did you hear that? You'll receive what you need if somebody gives it to you, but you pursue what you want. You'll go after it. It'll be the desire of your heart. It will be this consuming passion that you have. And that's what happened to me just a few years later as God was expanding my call to ministry. My heart started to change towards the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it became a consuming desire of mine. So if you're still not sure, if you're still wrestling with the question, let me start with the why why would you want the baptism in the Holy Spirit? The, it's, it, the baptism in the Holy Spirit has gotten a bad reputation, not from the Holy Spirit himself, but not from the Bible, but from people who do things in the flesh and then blame it on him. 
So please set aside any weirdness, any, anything that you've seen from televangelists or anybody else in, in, in the world, and let's look at the Word of God. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, why should I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, is about power. Power. So the question is, power for what? He said, I'm going to give you power to be my witnesses. Not just to witness, because witnessing and being a witness is is two different things. He said, I'm going to give you power and you will be my witnesses. Not just in what you say, but in how you live. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about giving us the power to fulfill the Great Commission, which is to go and make disciples. If you have any interest in fulfilling God's calling on your life, if you have any interest in making disciples, if you have any interest in making a lasting impact on the, on, on the people around you for the sake of Christ, then you should want the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's what, but that's, so that's what the power is for. But the biggest issue that people have is like, what is the power? What does that mean? You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What what does that even mean? Is it some sort of scary, uncontrollable urges and surges like we see in the superhero movies? Is, Is that... Because, I mean, we, we all have to have a, f- a frame of reference for stuff, and we're trying to figure stuff up, and, and, and we just see people like accidentally zapping people and weird stuff happening with these new powers that you find. Th- that's, that's fiction. The power of God comes out of the character and the nature of God. His power helps you become more like Him. Amen. More of Him and less of you. That is and has always been God's plan for all of us. So now the question is, so what's God like? Well, the most prominent attribute of God is His love. God, doesn't the Bible say God is love? I believe that's 1 John chapter 4. God is love. So being filled with the Spirit of God, being baptized in the Spirit of God is about being filled to overflowing with the love of God. You're like, John, I don't know about the connection between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit and love. I don't know about that. 1 Corinthians 13 says the gifts of the Spirit have to operate in love. Galatians chapter 5 teaches us that the fruit of the Spirit, the keystone of the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's listed first and all the others flow from it. Joy, peace, patience, all those things that start to bloom after you develop a a surrendered relationship to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. John 3.16 teaches us that it was love that caused Jesus to come to this earth and to give himself for us. And we should witness for him for the same reason. At its essence, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is about being a submitted, open vessel to operate God's love in a world that's desperate to receive it. You say, John, what, what, what about the holiness and what about, what about the, the justice and what about the miracles and what about all that stuff? All the other stuff that is a part of God. Jesus said love takes care of all that. 
Love takes care of all that. If you love God above all else, you, you are, and you love others as you love yourself, you're not going to want to sin against God. You're going to do everything in your, li- in, in your power to get the sin out of your life. You're not going to want to sin against other people. You're going to want to love them and serve them and, and witness to them and draw them to God. So if the question is, why should I want the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Maybe the best answer to that question is another question, and that's it. And this is it. How serious are you about doing the will of God in your life? How serious are you about being sold out to Jesus? That's the real question when you're you're considering the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Say, Pastor, are you trying to make us all Pentecostal? No, I'm trying to do what Ephesians commands me to do as I operate in the office of the pastor slash teacher, and that is what? What's the purpose of the fivefold ministry? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the primary part of that equipment. So much so that after Jesus told the disciple, told the 500 people on the mountainside the Great Commission, when he said, go and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey my commands, he said, but don't go do that yet. First, go to Jerusalem and wait for the power. And it's the same thing for us. We're not going to Jerusalem But we need and we should want the power to carry out the calling of God on our lives. And now let me answer a question that I wish someone had answered for me years before I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and and that is how. How? How do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I have known many people, and for a while I was a part of those people who are frustrated, who have desired the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but for whatever reason, just they never, they never could break through. They never experienced it for themselves. And quite honestly, there's so much weirdness and so much misinformation about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's no wonder people are confused and frustrated. So let's look at the Word for some clarity. Let's find out what God actually says about it. So the question is, how do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Here, there's, there's three quick answers to that question straight out of Scripture, and the first one is prayer. Prayer. This is in Acts chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. We're going to look and see these people who received the, 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 the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, what were they doing? Verse 13 in chapter 1 says, when they arrived... They went upstairs. They went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those that were present. Peter, James, John, Andrew, all the, all the disciples. Do you trust me? Let's move to verse 14. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several of the other women, and the brothers of Jesus. 120 people came together. And what was the primary, uh, the, the, the primary activity of the room? They prayed. They prayed a lot. Prayer is a matter of, it's not a laundry list of things you need God to do for you. Prayer at its essence is a matter of submission of your will to God's will. It focuses on you. It it focuses you on His kingdom and not God on your kingdom. 
It opens up your heart to not just talk to God, but to hear what God has to say. So they went to, they, they spent the majority of their time, nine days, they spent nine days praying and worshiping. They went, to, they went to the prayer meeting at the temple. They prayed in the upper room. They were preparing themselves for the baptism in the Holy Spirit through prayer. And it's the same for us as well. If you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, you need to be talking to God about it. And you need to be simply living in repentance living in humility, submitting your will and your desires to the things of God. Remember, it's not about needing Him, it's about wanting Him. Here's a second, the second uh, answer to how do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not only prayer, but persistence. Persistence, and I want you to see it back at the, the, the passage from Luke that we just talked about. I'm going back to verse 9 now instead of verse 11. And Jesus said, and, so, and remember, he just, told, uh, he just told the parable of the lady that went to her neighbor's house in the middle of the night and started banging on the door, and she had a need that she wanted the neighbor to fill, and the neighbor's like, I'm in the bed, leave me alone. And she just kept beating on the door. Y'all got neighbors like, <laughs> never mind. Um, so Jesus told that thing, and finally the dude, right, dude gets out of the bed and goes and says, oh, good Lord, lady, here's what you need. Please leave me alone and go to sleep. So he, he went back to bed and Jesus said, so here's the point. I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone, look, this is verse 10, for everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. That's important. We're going to come back to it in just a second. And then this is where we just read a second ago. This is all part of the same passage, all part of the same thought. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? If they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So the second answer Besides prayer, the second answer is persistence. This is the passage where the famous King James Version verse comes from, ask and you shall receive. That was this passage right here. But the verb ask is like the one we read in Ephesians where it's talking about being filled with the Spirit continually. This translation has it right. It's not just ask and you'll receive, but ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. And the, and the promise of verse 10, remember we highlighted that promise? The promise of verse 10 is that those who are persistent in asking, who are persistent in seeking, who are persistent in knocking will receive what they're asking for because they're asking for something that's in the will of God. But don't miss that Jesus connected this conversation, not just to prayer for getting Jesus to do the stuff you need him to do. He's connected this to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He said, if you people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does the Father know how to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The baptism is a gift. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift. I had somebody tell me this morning after the first service, I can't claim this, uh, this, this idea, but I want to I share it with you. She said, it's, she said, when you said it was a gift, I imagined children receiving a gift on Christmas. And she said, you know, they, they receive uh, clothes or something, and what do they do? They set it aside. 
because it wasn't what they were expecting. It's not what they wanted. And she said, you know, how, how rude is it when, when Jesus offers us a gift for us to refuse it, for us to set it aside and like, nah, I don't think so. And then, and then in that moment when she said that, I said, that's exactly what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. It's a gift, but listen, it's not a gift to play with. It's a gift to clothe you. Amen. And, and maybe that's the problem. We like our gifts to be fun. We like gifts to be toys to play with. We like gifts. And how do little kids play with toys? They take it and they make it do whatever it is they want it to do. They put it in the positions, they frame it, they pose it, they make it do what they want it to do. That's not what this gift is. This gift is to clothe you in the, in the righteousness of God. This, this gift is to clothe you in the power that you need to fulfill the calling of God. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. And give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.